0: in the way that God intended, by gathering, by singing, by praying, by preaching, by worshiping, and by fellowshipping together with our risen Lord. Our fellowship is with the Son. Our fellowship is in thankful. I invite you to return with me this morning to John chapter number 20. And when you find your place, if you'll go down to verse number 19, we read this entire chapter of at the beginning of the service this morning, and I want to preach for a few moments on the subject this morning from verses 19 through 23 on life because of Easter. Life because of Easter. The people and the stories surrounding the resurrection of Jesus Christ recorded in the Scriptures are some of the most interesting in all of the Word of God. The Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record some stories in detail, and other stories they just mention a word. They don't go into detail, but they just mention a word that really captivates your interest, but there's nothing more said. My soon-to-be 96-year-old dad called me this week, and he said, I can't find that story. He said, Where is it? And I said, What story? And he said, Where, when Jesus died, the graves opened and people got up and went into the city after His resurrection and appeared. He said, I was telling somebody about that over here, and he said, They don't believe me. And I said, told him where it was in the Scripture. He said, I knew it was there, and it is, it's there. But that's all it tells us, that the bodies of former dead saints arose and went into the city after our Lord's crucifixion, and then after His resurrection appeared unto many. And then we have detailed accounts, accounts that talk about how napkins were folded and how things were done. And then we have this account this morning of the despondent disciples huddled in fear, how would life be for them now because of the resurrection the bible said in john 20:19 then the same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the jews came jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them peace be unto you and when he had so said He showed unto them His hands and His side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when He had said this, He breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit, whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. In John 20, verses 19 through 23, one of the Gospel writers, John, takes us to that period of time only twelve hours after Jesus had came out of the tomb. The verse begins by identifying the time-setting of the event that John is about to tell us. It is the evening of that resurrection day, of that first day of the week when our Lord rose from the dead. The disciples, according to John's account, are assembled together in a room. There are ten of them. Judas is gone. Thomas, according to verse 24 of this chapter, is somewhere else. He is not there on this occasion. They have shut themselves in this room. Some speculate it was the original upper room, but somewhere in Jerusalem, wherever that room may have been, they have went in this room, and according to verse 19, they have shut themselves in. They are there. They are not there because of a government lockdown. They are not there because of a lot of other things. They are there as the text will tell us, specifically in a few moments, out of fear. Just as these men were assembled on that Easter Sunday, that first Easter Sunday morning, just as they are assembled there in that room, so are we assembled here this morning. Or wherever you are listening, you are assembled somewhere. And while most of us would like to appear on the surface that we have life altogether, and that everything is going the way that we want it to go, the reality is that thousands of years later from this assembly of the disciples on this Resurrection Day, they did not have everything together. In fact, everything was about to fall apart. So it is with many lives today as we're assembled on this Easter Sunday. We appear on the surface to have everything together, when in reality there's a lot of things that need the Lord's help and need the Lord's grace. For a few moments this morning, I want us to look at this text and see these ten in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who they are, where they are, and what is happening in their life, what Jesus will do to meet them where they are, and to give them hope for a future. What is life after Easter? You would think that after Mary Magdalene in the early Verses of this chapter, and as I read a while ago, after her face to face conversation with the risen Lord, and then her return to tell the brethren that he had risen, you would think that verses 19 through 23 would read much differently from what they do in the text. You would also think that after thousands of years of preaching of the gospel, and after thousands of years of men and women having the copy of God's word to understand what Jesus has done and who He is, that individuals would be in a different condition than they really are today. But we find ourselves in the same shape of these disciples. First of all, life after Easter found these disciples in a condition of fear. It says in verse number 19 that on that Sunday evening, on that first day, that resurrection evening, The disciples were behind closed doors. They were somewhere in a room and the doors were shut. But John doesn't leave us in suspense. He tells us why they were there. He says they were there for fear of the Jews. The fear of these disciples was absolutely genuine and absolutely real. Maybe you can sit here today and say, and you would say to yourself, had this been me, I would have been out telling the world about. Jesus Christ, really! You may say, had this been me, I would have never been in this kind of spiritual condition. I think all of us need to be very cautious in presuming how we would have responded to the arrest, to the suffering, to the beating, crucifixion, and death of our Lord, no matter how many scriptures we had been told, and no matter how many times Jesus had told us He would rise, I imagine most of us would have been in a far worse condition than even these disciples. They are there out of fear, absolute fear. I read this week a message from an uneducated preacher, a preacher that most of us would identify with, not polished in his language or eloquent in his grammar, and this preacher said about this text, he said, Them their disciples were having trouble with all this. Now, I can relate to that. I relate to that kind of language. I read a very EDUCATED preacher who had a message on this text, and here's what he said. Jesus' disciples were having difficulty coming to terms with the full significance of what had happened in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. That's a very educated response. I want to tell you whether you're listening to a man on the edge of a mountain ledge, or listening to an educated preacher stand in a seminary somewhere, both men were saying the same thing in different languages. These disciples were having trouble with all of this. They were struggling with what had happened and how to believe and they were facing life as it really was, with the threat of their own life hanging over them, their Master having been taken from them, and now they not knowing what to do. They are there in fear. We live in a very real world in this year 2022. We live in a world where men do not, as I just illustrated a while ago, Even in their public comments on public radio, they announce that they are somewhat proud of their unbelief, and it doesn't really matter. These disciples were living in that same world, and what were they going to do now that their Lord was gone? What were they going to say? They've forsaken their livelihoods and their families, and where will they go from here? Maybe true Christians are asking the same thing this morning. Can I suggest, first of all, they were living with the fear of retaliation. The fear of retaliation. The word fear there in the text is that Greek word phobos, which means they were living in alarm. They were living in body-shaking fear. They were absolutely afraid. They shut the doors. They hid themselves out. And they were afraid because that same religious crowd, those Jews, that same religious establishment that had arrested their Lord and had crucified Him, they were afraid that that might happen to them. They were huddled because of the fear of retaliation. It's only been about 72 hours since they had seen Roman soldiers arrest their Lord and beat Him, and torment Him, and hang Him on a cross to die. So they are here naturally asking themselves the question, Are we next? So they shut themselves in. These ten, these ten followers of Christ were there because their hearts were filled with sadness. Their hearts are filled with emptiness. They apparently have lost their way. You say, well, Jesus told them. I know, but how many things has He told us in the Word of God? And yet we find ourselves in fear sometimes over the most insignificant things. We know what He has said. We feel so all alone, and yet He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We feel so helpless, and yet He has told us that I will strengthen thee, and I will be with thee. They are in the same condition, magnified a thousand, thousand times. Their lives are engulfed in darkness, the same darkness that had engulfed Mary as she came to the tomb early that morning, as we read about in the early part of this Scripture. That same darkness had now settled in on the disciples. Yes, they would be better off to get out from behind those closed doors and get out in the sunlight and understand what has happened. But those of us who live life in its reality know that it's one thing to know where we ought to be and another thing to get there and believe our Lord and what He said. Sadness and hopelessness. These men are broken as a result of their Master's crucifixion. They loved Christ. They had already began to think and speak in past tense. I think the words of the men on the Emmaus Road say it best. You remember as they're walking with Jesus, on that resurrection day, and they said these words to Jesus, not knowing it was Jesus. They said, but we trusted that it had been He which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, this is the third day since all these things have been done. The day's come, and the day has gone. Some of them knew Scripture to a certain extent, but yet they are looking around, and they are huddled up in fear of retaliation, what the unbelievers may do to them. Secondly, they are huddled in fear not only because of retaliation, they are huddled in fear because of the fear of observation. These men did not want the world to see them in their weakness and to see them in their confusion. And if you know the stories of these men, these are men who said things publicly, though all forsake thee, I never will. These are men who said, we'll go with you all the way. These are men who had publicly laid aside everything they had to follow Jesus. And they're not too excited about coming out and being observed now because when it came down to those final hours, every one of these men forsook our Lord and they fled. And they are hid for fear of realization. And they are hid for our fear of retaliation, and they are hid for fear of observation. They must have been saying to themselves, you know, if we'd have just stayed with Him, if we'd have listened more, if we would have paid more attention when He broke loaves and if we had understood that he who walks on water can do anything, if we we had just asked him another question whenever he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, maybe they're thinking down there at Lazarus' tomb, if we had just asked him to explain a little bit more about the power of resurrection, all these things are no doubt going through their minds, and we don't like to be observed whenever we have failed to believe God in the way that we should. Here's where they are huddled in fear the fear of retaliation the fear of observation and they are also huddled in fear of their destination I mean if they come out where they go where do you go what do you do if they get up enough courage to open the door and look down both streets and there are no Roman soldiers coming to get them. And if there were no people who are going to stick their finger in their face and say, you used to follow Jesus like they did Peter there at the fire. If, if all of that never happens again, then it's the fear of their destination. Where are they going to go? What are they going to do? They're huddled up here after the Lord's death and after His resurrection. Can I suggest to you this morning that this atmosphere of fear is frighteningly similar to where many people are living today. People are living with despair of life, with emptiness, with hopelessness, with regrets. I'm preaching to people today who promised Jesus things years ago, and you have not fulfilled those promises. As a matter of fact, you promised Him things you couldn't fulfill, You promised you'd do this and you'd do that. And maybe on this Easter Sunday you're huddled somewhere. Maybe not in a room. Maybe you're locked in right in this open building this morning. Fear of emptiness, the fear of hopelessness, and the fear of loneliness. Unable to bring life out of death. Unable to bring... Uh, understanding out of chaos, unable to explain, unable to go forward, afraid to go forward, afraid to move backward. you like these disciples. It's not that you failed God morally, but you're here living in fear and you just don't know what to do. Well, Easter has a message for you and Easter has a man for you and that man is Christ Jesus. Where are these men living in regard to Easter? First of all, they are living in fear. But secondly, they are going to be living in the promised peace of Jesus Christ. Could I just say, verse 19, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, comma, came, and brother, the rest of that verse could read a hundred different ways. It could read, came the Romans and knocked on the door and took every one of these men out and crucified them. It could read, came former followers of Jesus, and people that knew they were there, and mocked them, and made fun of them because of their lack of faith. It could read, came other true followers of Jesus, and went in the room and died with them. But Christianity did not stop in that room. Christianity did not die in that room because the risen Christ came and done two things. He came and stood with them and He came and spake to them. The first concerns on the heart of our risen Lord is to come where His fearful disciples are to come where people's lives are empty, to come where people's lives are disappointing, to come where people live in despair, to come where people have no future, no hope, and no energy and no strength, to come to men who have failed, uh, to come to men who have tried and came up unsuccessful. He's alive to come to those types of individuals. Thank God and bring life to our deadness. And that's what He does on this Easter Sunday morning. He comes... In their fear of destination, He comes to where they are. And although these men, and I want you to understand this, if you don't remember anything else I say, although these men are shut in, I want you to remember they could not shut Him out. I want you to remember this morning, no matter what has shut you in, thank God it does not have the power to keep Jesus out. You may be shut down in fear. You may be shut down in guilt. You may be shut down in just beating yourself up over having failed. You may be huddled and shut out from everything else and not allowing anybody to step into your world. But thank God a risen Savior can walk through all of your gloom and despair and your failure and come stand with you and come speak to you. Reading a message from a liberal writer this week, He said this, do you Christians really believe that Jesus came and just walked through the door and never opened it? He said, how do you believe that? If I believe He came out of a tomb without rolling the stone away first, I have no problem with a two-by-four piece of plywood, do you? Or whatever size four-by-eight or whatever, whatever it was. If our Lord can walk out of a stone tomb, thank God that He can walk through a door. And that's what He done. You say, when the Bible said the stone was rolled away, that was rolled away to let the people look in. That was not rolled away to let him out. He was out before that ever happened. Our Lord can come into your world. You may have your heart stone cold closed this morning. You may may be huddled up in your own defeat and your own failures and think, life is over. I have tried. I've done this. I've done that. Easter Sunday says, stay right there. Jesus comes, and He speaks, and He brings peace. Do you understand the whole world had just declared war on the Son of God and looked like they won? But when He resurrects, He does not declare war on the world. He comes to declare peace on His closest followers. Isn't that just like our Savior? You say, Preacher, when is Jesus going to come and straighten out all this politics and all of this chaos? When's He going to come and straighten out all the kingdoms and all the world? Hey, read your Bible. That's coming. That's coming. But I want to tell you something. Right now He's the risen Lord, and His main concern is, has it always been, is to come where men are empty and lost and hopeless, to come where men who have even professed to follow Him are not, now have no future, they don't know how to live, they don't know where to go. It is our Savior's purpose to come where you are this morning, as He did in His incarnation, so He did in His resurrection. He came to those who needed Him. He come to bring life and He come to bring hope. And He'll do that for you. Notice with me a couple things about His presence here. He stands quietly in their presence. It says in verse 19 that He just came and stood in their midst. He came and stood where they were. The word midst means in the middle. He came and stood before them. He was not just one among them, but He came to stand with them, and soon they would see Him and hear Him, and understand who He was. H.A. Ironside said, This way is Jesus' rightful place. This, This place, the way He came, He just comes in silently. This is amazing. You say, Well, I see nothing amazing about Him just coming and standing. If He had came in and said something boisterous at the beginning, or done something way out in left field, They would have probably paralyzed them even more. And Luke will tell us about that in just a moment. But He comes and He stands in the midst. This is the first time since His death and resurrection that He had been with His disciples all together with the exception of Judas now gone and Thomas. He is there with them. He is coming and standing with them. In my younger years as a Christian and as a preacher, I was taught that when God shows up, there's a lot of racket and a lot of movement and all the stuff that goes with that. My Bible teaches me on this occasion, there wasn't no racket, there wasn't any movement. They're standing there paralyzed, and all of a sudden, there He is, just standing there. That's our Lord. That's our Lord. He doesn't have to announce Himself. He doesn't have to promote Himself. I mean, had He come to an average Baptist congregation, they'd be able to take a half hour for people to announce Him and get ready for Him and get the people worked up. We don't need to get worked up. We need Him as we are to come stand where we are with what? With new life and with new hope and with new strength. Our Lord appeared silently in a lot of places in Scripture. Matter of fact, right here in John chapter 20, you can back right up if you will. You've got your Bible open there. It said in verse leaven but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping i mean and as she wept she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and there's angels there in white sitting at the right and sitting at the head and one at the feet and they asked her they have a communication with her but if you remember the text verse 14 and when she had thus said she turned herself back and looked saw Jesus standing she didn't know it was him he just showed up he was just there Let me just say to you this morning, He is here. He is here through His written Word. He is here through His church, the body of Jesus Christ. He is here. There doesn't have to be a firework. There doesn't have to be an explosion. There doesn't have to be all of that. If he wants to send wind and fire, that's his prerogative. But I want you to know he's still the Savior who appeared as he did in the Old Testament in a still small voice. In this situation, the most despondent of times, the most heartbreaking, empty, and hopeless days there had ever been, all of a sudden Mary turns and looks and there he is. And the disciples fear, there he is. And later on in John 21, when these disciples would decide to go back to an unsuccessful life of fishing, and they have nothing, and and they're just frustrated and, and agitated, all of a sudden the sun will come up, and there He is, standing on the shore, making breakfast for these men that have walked away from Him. Our Savior's presence comes in the quiet standing. But then our Savior comes speaking. The first word that comes out of His mouth is, Peace, that's what he says. That was a common greeting, similar to shalom in the Old Testament Hebrew. But this word peace would carry a far greater and deeper meaning than a common greeting. In fact, when these men see Jesus and they begin to see His lips move, maybe they were expecting a word of rebuke. They probably deserved it like we do. Maybe they expected a tongue lashing like most of us would expect and we deserve. Maybe they expected to hear Him say, What were you men thinking? Did you not listen to Me? But a word of peace. And then showing them His hands and side, Jesus again said to them, Verse 21, Peace be unto you. Luke says at this point in Luke 24, 37, They were more terrified and afraid and they supposed that He was a spirit. Now they realize He has risen. He has come out of the grave. He is alive. And it kind of shakes them. Easter ought to shake us. Our Lord is alive. And our Lord is standing with us. And our Lord is speaking to us through His Word. And it kindly ought to make a step back every now and then and have a little reverential awe for the greatness of what we proclaim to believe. You do understand this morning that we, like no other belief system on the face of God's earth, we Christians believe that God's only begotten Son was crucified, that He died. Not that He passed out and was in a coma, but He died and was in a grave three days and three nights, and that this morning He ever liveth to make intercession for you and for me. We believe that. That's heavy stuff. That is heavy. It separates us from everything else. He's standing and He's speaking. Now, anyone who had been crucified could have identified by the wounds in their hands and feet. Now, the Gospels do not record the wounds in Jesus' feet. That's not recorded in the Gospels, but Psalm 22, 16 prophesied there would be wounds in His feet. But it says here in our text that He showed them His hands, and then something different from all other crucifixions, He showed them His side. And when they saw that, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Not just when they saw a man standing there, but they saw a crucified risen Savior, provable, verifiable by the Prince, the wounds in His hands, and the wounds in His side. I've told you, I think every year I've preached to you, Vance Hebner, one of my heroes, said that John twenty twenty is perfect vision, just as per- 2020 is perfect vision in the world, this is perfect vision. Then were the disciples glad when they, what, saw the Lord. Perfect spiritual vision is when you see Christ. Think with me this morning, this Easter Sunday morning, Jesus' resurrection is not an idea. Jesus' resurrection is not a traditional myth. Jesus' resurrection is not a story. The disciples are not shut up in a room because the world does not entertain their idea. Listen, you can believe anything today and the world will tolerate it. I told Kim coming to church this morning, I said, in this hour, we're li- in this day, I said, the more crazier your religious belief is, the more it's tolerated. Have you noticed that? You can believe anything weird and people will tolerate it. You know why? Because it is an idea. It is a story. It is not a reality. Our faith does not rest in a story. Our faith does not rest in an idea. Our faith does not rest in a traditional myth. They are standing in this room with a living person and that person is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's alive. And that is why our faith is so precious. They are not embracing a message. They are embracing the messenger who is the heart of the very message. They see Him. They touch Him. They hear Him. They examine the evidence. Christianity is about the living person of Jesus Christ when the Romans crucified Christ they did not crucify an idea they did not crucify a myth they did not crucify some traditional story they crucified a living breathing person and when he got out of the grave on the third day it was not an idea that resurrected or a traditional myth that resurrected thank God the living Son of God resurrected and he lives if you're saved today within your heart it's not an idea it is not a upbringing of a thinking about religion that you embrace thank God in our hearts today is the living breathing sovereign son of God he lives within our hearts this is about life and it's about life more abundantly listen to the Apostle John later in 1 John 1 1 that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. Our hands, John said, have handled of the word of life. John says, for this life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show it unto you, that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifest unto us, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You say, But, preacher, we haven't seen him with our eyes. We haven't handled him like they did. We didn't touch him later on like Thomas. We didn't. Re- preacher, what's our evidence? Oh, something much greater. Because did you notice in the passage that I read before John said anything about all of that other stuff being the significant thing, he calls Jesus that word of life. My faith this morning don't rest on me taking a trip to Israel and trying to figure out which tomb he was actually in and which hill he actually died on. That's not where my faith rests. My faith rests in this perfect book that says jesus is who he says he is did what he did got up out of the grave and it's where the scripture says that he is and will come again as the scriptures says that he will this is our hope this is our evidence why were they cheerful why were they glad for several reasons i close with this one they are now aware that jesus is no longer dead mary tried to tell them i mean but now they know He's not dead. He's standing right there in their midst. But number two, I think they're glad because if they are not presently aware, they are soon going to be aware, as we are this morning, that by His resurrection, they now have peace. And that's the peace He's speaking to them. What kind of peace are you talking about, preacher? The kind He had already talked to them about. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. Could I just say today... That's really the only place I have any peace, honestly, is in Christ. I have expectations and things I'd like to see happen. I don't have peace about any of that. But thank God there's peace in Jesus. In the world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Colossians 1.20, they will soon understand this. That's why He used the word peace. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. They're in that room worried about Romans. They're in that room worried about being captured and killed themselves. They're in that room worried about how they've let Him down. They're in that room worrying about their future. But when He speaks to them, He doesn't speak to them about any of that initially. He says to them, peace. And then He says again, Peace, what He is saying to them is this, no matter what you're huddled behind this morning, remember this and understand this, He has made peace for you through His blood on the cross, and that peace is available in Him and Him alone. Where are you this Easter Sunday morning, 2022? With all that's been going on in the past several years, and all that's still going on today, and all that's going to be going on in the days to come, What's, what, what's act, where are you actually in this particular period of your life? Looking across this congregation, many of our people are finishing up life. Some of our congregation, young married couples and teenagers and little children who don't even understand what I'm saying, they're beginning life. Some of us, some of you are parents raising teenagers, and your children will soon marry, and that's where you are in life. We're all over the map, but where are you in relation to the living Christ? Where are you in relation to Jesus? I know for a fact that you're living in a world that has denied the very existence of God, and everybody mocks His creative power, and people mock His saving grace. I know we're living in a church culture where people are satisfied with a little religion and no commitment to the gospel or Christ. However, there are people here and listening this morning who for whatever reason have said to God, I'm good, Lord, I can figure this out for myself. When I need you, I'll let you know. That's not a good place to be in. And others, like the disciples, have said, Lord, I'm, I'm in fear. I'm shut down. I've shut myself up. I've shut myself away from life. I've failed so many times that if you look up the word failure, my picture will probably be beside it in the dictionary. Well, here's the good news. You can shut yourself up wherever you want to shut yourself up, but you can't shut Him out if He chooses to come stand in your midst and speak to you. And I would ask of you this morning, if you have shut yourself down and shut yourself out, I would ask of you this morning that wherever you need to, right here, right now, this evening alone in your room, somewhere on the backside of the yard, it doesn't matter to me, I would fall on my knees somewhere and say, God, I've shut myself in to my failures and my emptiness and my, all the other problems, but Lord, would you come stand with me today and speak to me words of peace that I can find forgiveness and hope. Can I just remind you, this little group of people that I'm talking about here will in a few days, in a few weeks, hallelujah, turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. They will be the men who will preach the truth that God has preserved that was preached to you one day when God saved your soul. So don't think it's over. It ain't over. It's Easter. It's not done, it's Easter. Preacher, when will it be over? You'll know when it's over, but it's not over right now. He's standing with you. If you've got a copy of God's Word, He is standing in your presence. And if you'll open it up, He will speak to you. And He will give you words of life. Jesus Christ, the risen, living Savior, He's the answer to your lostness, your loneliness, your sinfulness, your emptiness, your hopelessness. He's the answer to your life. Have you personally met this risen Christ like these men did? Has He changed your life? The one factor about the resurrection is everybody that come in contact with Him that's recorded in Scripture until He ascended back. One of the most verifiable proofs of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the dead, is the changed lives He left behind. Peter the denier will become Peter the preacher. Thomas the Doubter, all these men who had negatives and minuses all become pluses for the gospel and the kingdom of God. Easter says that your life is not over. Thank God there's hope in Jesus Christ. Do you know now why I said about 40 minutes ago, do you know why I said it's been my honor for 48 years? preach that he lives. Thank God it's an honor to tell a world. And I don't have a program. I can't produce a program that'll fix your problem. There's none out there. I don't in church there's no program. There's no plan. But thank God there's a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you this morning for the truth of this Easter Sunday, we thank you for reminding us in Sunday school, and in song, and in the sermon, and everything that's been done here today, for reminding us that our last enemy, our greatest enemy, death, not only physical death, but our sinful death, has been conquered, and life has been given through Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank You for that this morning. And wherever the remainder of this Easter Sunday finds each of us, may it find us in a state of thankfulness and worship. May we sing the songs and may what's been sung today, may we hum the tune, may we ponder the Scriptures that's been taught and preached and just remember what a wonderful Savior we have. Lord, we know that the One who rose for us is the One who also promised that He would come and get us. We pray with John the Revelator, Even so come, Lord Jesus. But while we live, may we, like these disciples, may we find power through the Holy Spirit to go out and tell the world about this Savior who lives within us. I pray again this morning for that empty, lonely, defeated heart, that individual who has promised you so much and produced so little. Oh Lord, I pray today, in Your grace, would You do as You've done for these disciples and for me and others on many, many occasions, would You stand with us in our failures, come where we are through Your Word, speak to us, may the Holy Spirit take this Word, and may He give us life, life that'll put us back on course, life that'll help us go forward and tell others about You. Grant it to be so. And thank you again for this resurrecting day. We bless your holy name. We love you. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen.